we're going to be finishing this morning Deuteronomy, and um, I'm going to ask, uh, so Dave, I think Lacey gave you some stuff to pass off. Okay, Jamie Hunter, Jamie, would you pass out the sheet? Uh, we'll probably get into the introduction of the next couple of weeks' study uh, this morning for this hour, and so take this and just put it on your table. Don't look at it yet. And we'll probably talk about this before we're finished this morning. Then I want you to tuck it into your Bible, and we'll be using it the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to be looking at Christian growth and maturity. For about the last six weeks, I've been pondering what are the essence of things that have to do with Christian growth and maturity. So I spent six weeks just trying to condense it to one page. And uh, so I hope I've done that. And, We'll be talking about that the next couple of weeks uh, for this particular hour. So much more. We could take a full year on this subject, but I want to just kind of condense it and get to some highlights. So we'll introduce this after a while and talk about this before we finish this morning. We'll just put it aside for right now as we finish up Deuteronomy. By the, by the way, um, uh, generally we don't recommend documentaries or, or uh, uh, movies or anything, but Lacey and I are into watching... I think the name of it, Lacey, is T.R. Was that the title of the, of, the, of the series? T.R., Teddy Roosevelt. We're looking at the life story, the documentary that we got on Teddy Roosevelt. And I think the title of it is it's about a five or six hour set. Uh, last that long CD that you can get. And, but I think it's just entitled T.R. for Teddy Roosevelt. You need to see it. I am just absolutely fascinated by the story of Teddy Roosevelt. And um, I believe he was a Christian. Uh, that doesn't come out, of course, from the secular world as much as it could in the, in the film. The documentary is it's a semi-documentary. It's both documentary as well as uh, uh, some acting in it. But it is absolutely excellent. Teddy Roosevelt. And um, men, uh, if you watch it, you're going to cry because... He had a wonderful father, a tremendous father, and that was that is brought out in the uh, in the in the documentary. Like uh, I've never seen, I, I've never seen a, a, something so so well done, and revealing about America, about America at the turn of the last century, about values, about spirituality. Uh, it is an excellent, excellent documentary. I urge you to you get it. If you, if you get some of these uh, movie catalogs, you'll probably find it in one of those movie catalogs. Or some of y'all know how to dial up on Amazon or something and, and, and order it that way. It is well, well worth it. T.R., Teddy Roosevelt. All right, uh, take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. I want to remind you of what we've been doing. We've been looking at Moses and as he repeated the basic concepts to the new generation of Jews who are about to enter the land. Moses will not lead them in. Joshua will lead them in. And uh, these are the final words of Moses himself. And the last chapter was penned by someone else who uh, closes for Moses, if you will, chapter 33, or actually, excuse me, chapter 34. And um, uh, after his death, someone gave kind of, a, of uh, the final comment about Moses and his death and so forth, the last chapter. But this has been an excellent study for me, and I hope it has, has been for you. We're looking at chapter 32, and I want to repeat some verses we've already looked at, and um, then we'll, we'll finish up this morning. Um, look at to verse 35 of chapter 32, 
And by the way, there is judgment. God is always honest. God is truthful. And so God tells where, there, where grace is and God tells where judgment comes from. Uh, God says, I, I, I hold you to be responsible because I have given revelation to you. And so there is judgment for you if you disobey my commandments. And there is grace for you if you, if you obey my commandments and so forth. Let's pick up at verse 35 of chapter 32. Vengeance is mine and retribution or repayment. In due time their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon them for the Lord will vindicate his people. And he's talking about the nations that will oppose the Jews when they, as they are coming into the land. He will have compassion on his servants, the Jewish people, when he sees that their strength is gone and there's none remaining, bond or free. And he will say, where are their gods? That is the gods of the pagans. The gods of the pagans who are opposing uh, the Jewish people. The rock in which they sought refuge. Where is that rock for them? Verse 39, verse 39. See now that I, I am he and there is no God beside me. It is I who put to death and give life. I put to death and give life. Please notice that. Who's in charge of death? God is in charge of death. He gives, he gives life. He, he brings death. I have wounded. And it is I who heals. God can, can wound us in order to bring us, to cause us to come to Him. God can bring bad things upon us in order to cause us to come to Him. God is not the author of, but He can manipulate and use evil things and bad things. Because in that, He is going to bring us to something new. He's going to bring us to strengthen us, cause us to be strengthened. Uh, look, look what it says in the last part of verse 39. There is no one who can deliver from my hand. No one. When God begins to move, God will move. Middle of verse 41. I will render vengeance on my adversaries. Wait a minute. On God's adversaries. But they're, but they're coming against God's Jewish people. His people. But ultimately, if they come against His people, guess what? They're coming against God. They're coming against God. And so, you know, the nations who are despising the Jews today, ultimately they're despising God. They're, 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 they're going against God. Notice the end of verse 41. I will repay those who hate me. I will repay. Verse 43. Rejoice, O nations, with His people, for He will avenge the blood of His servants and will render vengeance on His adversaries and will atone for His land and His people. Then Moses came and spoke all the words of this song. Remember, Moses is giving a poem. It's in poetic fashion. He's giving a poem or a song. And it says that he spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. He with Joshua, the son of Nun, when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all of Israel, he said to them, Take to your heart all the words which I am warning you today. Take to your heart. You've got to internalize these things. You must internalize them. You must bring them into your, into your, th your thinking processes. Take to, to your heart all the words which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. 
For it is not an idle word for you. Please notice that. It is not an idle word for you. Could the Jewish people in their own flesh keep the commands of God? And the answer is no. And yet, people are responsible. The Jews were responsible. Now look, what happens if they fail to keep those words? There is still grace. The law is full of grace. They were to come and repent and, and confess their sins and bring a sacrifice and they would be back in fellowship with God. What happens when we sin? We, we don't bring a sacrifice anymore. Christ is our sacrifice. But we are to come and confess our sins so that we're back in, 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 back in, in restored fellowship with the Lord. Back in restored fellowship. If we allow sin to, to stay within our, our hearts and minds and, and smolder, if you will, then God will bring pain upon us to cause us to do what? Look, to go, ah, i got to let go of that. I have to let go of that. So whatever we're doing that is, that is destructive to ourselves and to others and to the name of God, ah, He's going to make us let go of it. And He will bring pain upon us to cause us to let go of those things that are detrimental. Uh, he goes on, please, please notice verse 47 again. This is not an idle word for you. <laughs> you don't just run over quickly what I've been saying to you. You must take these things to heart. Now look, let me say one thing to make sure that you understand. We're not under the dispensation of law. These commands are real commands. They're, they're, they're real spiritual uh, uh, things that God wants us to be well aware of in our life. And you and I cannot do them all because of the weakness of our flesh. So there are two words that God wants to hear. Oh, God. I'm failing. God, I can't do this. God, I keep falling back on my flesh. Oh, God. Oh, God. Help me. Oh, God. Change me. Oh God, by Your Spirit, uh, conform me to, you, to Your Son. Oh God, cause me to let go of things that are destructive. Oh God. Those are the two words that He wants to hear from us. And remember, we can say, Oh God, we can appeal to His grace, not because we're so good, but because of Christ. And when you and I say, Oh God, we're, if we're falling back upon upon Christ and we're falling back on the work of His Spirit oh God your Spirit needs to change my couch oh I don't like that I don't like to hear that oh God by your Spirit change me oh God cause me to do verse 47 Mal these are not idle words for you these are not idle words they are important words. These are important words for the Jewish people. Indeed, look at the exclamatory, the exclamatory in verse 47. Indeed, it is your life. Do y'all hear that? These, are, these, are, these words are life to the Jewish people. To America today, life for America is not prosperity. It's not just putting new guys in, in Congress. Life to us is spiritual issues, spiritual things. Life to us is what God says. 
It's what God says. That's what's life. That's, that's, that's where life comes from. By the way, you know the, the word of uh, the Victorians? <laughs> the, word of the, the words of the Victorians and the words of Teddy Roosevelt? I was talking about him a moment ago. Duty. Duty. That was the key word of the Victorians. We have a duty. And what that, what that means is we have an obligation to do for our country, our family, or whatever. We have an obligation. We have a duty to obey and do what we're supposed to do. And you and I have a duty to obey God. We have a duty to do what is right. Now, when we fail, there can be consequences. There can be consequences when we fail. But there's also grace there and restoration. Restoration. I love chapter 6 of Galatians. Take, keep your finger here and go over to Galatians chapter 6. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Galatians 6. And I don't encourage everybody in this room. Galatians chapter 6. And verse 1. Galatians 6.1 Brothers, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. You have to look to yourself. What's going on inside of you in relationship to the Word of God, what God says, what God commands. You have to look inside of yourself. And by the way, secular psychology says you just look inside of yourself because you're, you're, you're your own God. <laughs> Only you determine what, what you are to be and to do. No, no, no. We're to look inside of ourselves in relation to the Word of God. What the Word of God says to us. Am I keeping it? Do I understand it? Am I living it? Look at the verse again. If any man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. There is restoration. There is restoration. In an attitude or spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. You and I can fall. We can, we, we can, we can goof. We can foul it up. We can, we can sin. And then we have to fall back upon grace. And we can be restored in the, with the spirit of gentleness. Alright, go, uh, go back to our passage in Deuteronomy. And look at verse 47 again. This is not an idle word to you. By the way, look at verse 47 and carefully and, and notice it didn't say words. Look up here a second. Sometimes the Bible says words, plural, you know, like all the chapters and all the verses. And sometimes it takes all these words and puts them in one bucket and says word. All this constitutes a, an authority. One word holds this whole thing together. And that's what he uses here, word. These, this is not an idle word. I'm not taking all these thoughts, Moses says, that I've given you, all of these laws that I have uh, uh, transmitted to you, and I put them, put them all into one basket and call, I call it the Word of God. The whole, the whole that God wants you to listen to. This is not an idle word. Indeed, indeed, exclamatory. It is your life. It is your life. Does this generation of young people, do they understand that the, the things of God, spiritual things, the Bible, that this is life? Life is not PlayStations and life is not, is not computer games. Life is, 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 is spiritual issues. Life has to do with spiritual things. 
Because that connects us with God, the God who made us, God who created us. Spiritual things. This is not an idle word. It's your life. And by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land. How will America be prolonged? How will America keep going? How will America avoid a judgment? Which God says, I'm going to withdraw my hand of mercy upon America. How can it do that? The same with the Jews. Uh, by keeping this word, you'll prolong your days in the land. A blessing will continue if you keep this, this word. If you keep this word, then blessing will continue. But that's, that, that, that's loaded. That, that's a big, big order here when it says you must keep this word. And it starts with the issue of salvation. The, the average citizen has a personal, or should have a personal relationship with God, starting with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have a relationship with God apart from the person of Christ. And understand that He died for your sins. That's the starting point. And then God, tell me what you want me to know. And this is not heavy. This is grace. This is mercy. This brings peace and contentment. America can return to us to a semblance of peace uh, inside the average individual if they honor, if America honors God, the Lord Jesus, and the Scriptures. And what has alarmed all of us sitting in this room is to watch the Bible, the Bible being sucked out of, removed from our culture, removed from any uh, any any desire to 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 do what God has to say. Look at verse forty-seven again. You shall prolong your days in the land which you're about to cross the Jordan. Uh, to possess it. Now, in chapter 37, Moses gives a blessing to all the tribes, all the tribes of Israel. He gives a blessing. And uh, I want to come on over to verse 26 of chapter 33. 33:26. He starts off with saying, There is none like the God of Jeshurun. And Jeshurun is another word for Israel. There's no God like, like the God of Israel who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in His majesty. The eternal God is a dwelling place. He's a dwelling place. The God of creation. God who made all of the planets, the stars, and so forth. He's a dwelling place. He's a dwelling place. The eternal God is a dwelling place. And underneath, by the way, look at the last part of verse seven, verse 27, or the middle of verse 27. Underneath are the everlasting arms. God upholds us. You and I don't realize that you and I survive this today. We breathe our next breath because God's arms are holding us. If it were not for God, we would have nothing. We would not have salvation. We would not have any blessings whatsoever. The eternal God is a dwelling place. Underneath are the everlasting or eternal arms. Look at verse 29, chapter 33, 29. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, who is the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. So your enemy shall cringe before you, and you shall tread upon their high places. By the way, when you watch the, the, the documentary on, on Teddy Roosevelt, he really believed that God was behind this nation. And, and, and the other nations of the world trembled. He believed in a strong president. The president didn't back off. The president didn't compromise. 
uh, he was criticized like crazy when he uh, uh, had the, 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 uh, the nation of Panama separate from the nation of Colombia so that he could build a Panama Canal. And people criticized him like crazy. As far as the documentary says, he didn't do anything wrong. He, he was pulling strings. But it was, one of the, it was one of the greatest blessings. The Panama Canal was one of the greatest blessings any nation had ever had. And the whole world, they opened the Panama Canal to all, all ships of all nations. And Teddy Roosevelt did that because he said, America's got to be strong. We have to do things that are tough. We have to do things that count. We will not compromise. We won't back off. We will do what is tough and what is hard. And if it's right, then it's right. And you've got to see the documentary on Teddy Roosevelt. Look at chapter 34. And verse, 30, verse 1 of 34. Someone else penned this at, at the end of Moses' days. Chapter 34, verse 1. Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, that is the land, the holy, the holy land that the people were about to enter. He showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and these are, these are the, the, the tribes of Israel, and Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Mediterranean, and the Negev, the desert, and the plain in the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, God, God buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no man knows Moses' bearing place to this day. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eyes were not dim, nor his vigor abated. Notice this, he, he died in full strength. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Now Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the sons of Israel listened to him, that is to Joshua, and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land. And for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Please notice verse 12. He performed powerful works and things, but also great terror. God used him as a judge, as one who would bring a, a judgment upon the nations that had come against Israel as they moved around the desert and before they, uh, before they uh, began to enter, enter the land itself. <coughs> I hope you've enjoyed Deuteronomy. I know that I have been studying it and getting ready for, for uh, presenting it to you all. And I hope it's been a good study for you. Now take the sheet that we gave you. And I've just got about 10 minutes and so I'll probably be in a little early. I just want to introduce this subject. Uh, and then we'll get into it more next week. Uh, I'll spend about five or six weeks just chewing on, mulling about 
what Christian growth and maturity is all about. We talk about it, we give it lip service, but what truly is Christian growth? And everyone in this room should be concerned about Christian growth and maturity. You had breakfast this morning to strengthen your physical so that you could survive another day. <laughs> you had protein, hopefully, you had uh, carbohydrates, and, and uh, this morning you ate things, hopefully, that were good for you. Um, because you had to strengthen the physical, we have to strengthen the spiritual. And how do we do that? And how do we know? How do we know when we are vitamin deficient, spiritually speaking? How do we understand that we are vitamin deficient? And as we go along, I want to raise some issues, the things that you and I all, all of us need to look at in terms of ourselves. How do I know that I am vitamin deficient, spiritually speaking? And we'll make a list of things. And then we'll ask the question, is this me or is this not me? And what does the Bible say about me growing strong? And how do I know when something pops up in my life that shows that I need to be strengthened in that area? I need a maturity in that area. And we all fail. Every believer, none of us walk perfectly. One of the things about the story on Teddy Roosevelt, this man was, in a certain sense, uh, in my opinion, near perfect, but he wasn't perfect. Uh, his, his fallacies and his faults and his fears uh, come out of the documentary. And yet he was a man who had great integrity. God looks at the whole of our life. Where are you going in the whole of your life? And yes, in, in that whole, in that walk in the Christian life, you're going to fall off the horse here, you're going to fall off the horse there. But are you moving forward in, in growth and maturity? Many men in this room, you played sports. Uh, I played football and ran track and on. And in football, you always... You always will have, in fact, in fact, the fact that you didn't make a touchdown on a certain play meant that you failed in that play, generally. You failed. Or you'd have made a touchdown. There was a failure. And so what happens is we push forward and we trip and we fall. But we get up and we go on and we listen to the coach, who is God, and say, Lord, what am I to do? How did I fail? Why did I fail? And how do I get up and go on? There is grace. I don't want to just talk about failure. I want to talk about restoration. I want to talk about grace and I want to talk about growth. How do we know that we are changing? How do we know that we should be changing? By the way, on what basis do we, do we learn our, our faults and our problems and, and our sins? Well, the starting point would be the Scriptures. And the Holy Spirit enlightening us with the Scriptures. And then there are human agencies. The spouse. We men need to learn to listen to our wives. Other believers. We need to listen hard. We need to listen up. Are they saying that which is true? Now, if it's a criticism, then I don't like that. I don't like to be criticized. But is it true? I need to listen carefully. I need to change. And so it is people, it is the ones closest to us, it is the Scriptures, it's the Holy Spirit who works the Scriptures, who reveals the Scriptures. And one of the things that we normally do, what we, we resist, we pull back. We don't want to look at the failures of ourselves. We don't want to look at that. Now look at the sheet. And let's just talk about some of the things on the sheet.
But again, I want to come back next week and really crank up. This is just an introduction. What are some of the major problems in the Christian life? Well, first of all, sin. Okay? And generally, we don't do the big sins. Generally, we do the little sins. And sometimes we don't call those sins. <laughs> the little sins we don't call sins. We call the big ones sins. We say, yeah, the, the, my neighbor does those kind of mean, terrible sins. But we don't look at ourselves and the sins that, that we have. So we can sin in the Christian life. And the, the Word of God knows that. The Apostle Paul, almost all of his letters, in fact, all of them except maybe Philippians, the Apostle Paul chides the, the, the believers. He chides the church. He says, you have problems. Let me list the problems for you. Here's what you all are doing that's good and not good. And here's the solution for those problems. He always comes along and gives the solutions. I was reading the other night the story of, uh, of the Queen Mum, uh, Queen, uh, Queen Mary, uh, Queen, Queen Elizabeth, that is, um, who, uh, uh, sorry, the, the mother of the present Queen Elizabeth. Um, she really was concerned about, about sin in her life during World War II. And one of the Episcopal bishops did something very wise. He said, I want you to read Romans chapter 8. He told her this. I want you to read Romans chapter 8. And in fact, take your Bible and flip over there because as I was reading the story about her, here's the passage that that bishop wanted her to look at carefully. Flip over to Romans chapter 8. And she was concerned about the war. This, is, this happened in World War II. She was concerned about herself. And this is what the bishop wanted her to read starting in verse 15 of Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or stress? Persecution or famine? Chapter 30, verse 35, sorry. Chapter 8, 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword. And just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are like a sacrifice all day long. And we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Never mind, never, nevertheless, though we are considered sheep to be slaughtered, nevertheless, God is with us. God knows what He's doing with us. God knows where He's taking us. Though things are difficult, we're sheep to the slaughter, yet we can trust God. Verse 37, But in all these things, in all these things, no matter what comes, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him. Him who loves us. For I'm convinced that neither death, dying, nor living, life, nor angels, nor principalities, and I would say that's probably principalities of the, of, of, the, of, the, of the evil angels, nor things present, anything present today, nor things to come tomorrow, nor powers, nor height, anything as high as you want to go, nor depth as low as you want to go, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This greatly, greatly buoyed her up and encouraged her a bunch when he caused her to, to, to read that. Now go back to the little sheet. 
We're going to go into more depth on this next week. Sin, part of it is our problem, just generic, all the sins that you and I are able to commit. Pride. Now, wait a minute. Pride is a sin, but I've, I've isolated some things that I think are biggies that I want to focus on as we, as we go through our study starting next week. Pride. Boasting. Lack of self-examination. Now, look. I don't mean that psychologically. Uh, in secular psychology, it says you, uh, you are the God unto yourself. You can solve it yourself. You don't need an outside force. You don't need God. Uh, you just just look at yourself, and you can solve the issue yourself. You're 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 self-governed, if you will. But the Bible says self-examination or self-evaluation in light of the Scriptures. What does the Bible say to me in terms of myself? What does the Bible say to me in terms of growth and in terms of maturity? Selfishness, just plain old raw. Selfishness. I am stunned at how a younger generation is into playstations and, and all this stuff that that is just selfishness. It's just for me. It's just it's just self. I don't fully understand that, but we can we have each of us have our our little list of, of issues that can be selfish. Here's the important terms that I want to spend some time on. What does it mean when it speaks about maturity? What is maturity? What's it mean to grow up? And how do we grow up? And how do we know that we're not growing up? And how do we know when we are growing up? Fleshly, being fleshly or carnal. What, what does it mean to be fleshly or carnal? And by the way, Paul speaks about that more than any other subject. He deals with that in Romans. He deals with this in Galatians. He deals with it in Ephesians. The issue of fleshliness and selfishness in 1 Corinthians. Paul deals with what, what is flesh? Now look, He's not, I'll tell you right now, he's not talking about just the skin, okay? He's talking about what can come out of us. What can come out of us as we, as we speak, as we think. What we think, what we say, our emotions, where we go, where our feet take us, what our eyes want to see, what our ears want to hear, what our mouth wants to say. These can be fleshly and can be harmful to ourselves, to others, and so forth. The grieving of the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. He's with us permanently. And by what we say and think, we can be grieving the Spirit. What grieves the Holy Spirit? Then the old self. And the old self means the old man. What about the old man? Now look up here. You and I are, in a certain sense, the spiritual schizophrenics. We have the old man, we have the new man. There's a conflict going on inside of us. And Paul says, on one hand, I want to do what God tells me to do. I want to be faithful to what He says, but I have a struggle going on. I have a war going on. I have a conflict going on. Where did that come from? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? We have a struggle going on. And then, what about the Spirit and the flesh? The Spirit and the flesh. Well, what about the Spirit versus the flesh? And there are going to be some surprises on that. What does it mean to be practicing the flesh? To be doing what is fleshly. What does that mean? We're going to take a look at that. By the way, did you know that, that Paul says we are to be trying, trying to please the Lord? So I ask you tomorrow morning when you get up, you eat breakfast, you go to work, many of you go into work. What does it mean to try to please the Lord and what you do tomorrow? He says, I want you to try to please the Lord. How do we do that? And what's that mean?
And then we want to look at some gender issues. We want to look at how the Bible speaks specifically to, to wives and women. What's it say to husbands? What's it say to children? What's it say isolating uh, men as fathers? What's it say to fathers? What's it say to us as Christians that, that we can go to sleep? We can start snoring in, in the spiritual life? We can suddenly uh, no longer want to be uh, to be listening to God. Oh, to, to, to be asleep as a believer is not in a certain sense a sin per se, but it means you just tune out. You just you just are here and 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 you're you're asleep spiritually. Doesn't mean that you're necessarily evil, but you're just neutral. You've gone to sleep as a Christian. Nothing impacts you. Nothing impresses upon you. But by the way, you're going to be surprised when we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he says about going to sleep, Christians who are going to sleep. You know what he says about this? It's going to be a real surprise to you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the preview right now. He says, when you're no longer interested, I'm paraphrasing, you're no longer interested in prophetic things, in prophecy. You're not interested in where, where God is taking you and the world. That blew me away when I realized that he ties together an understanding or a love of prophecy versus as a Christian who just goes to sleep. Oh, he comes to church. Oh, he puts money in the offering. But nothing else is going on. Oh, he's not terribly bad. He's not the worst sinner in the world. But nothing is happening and especially in relationship to prophecy. We're going to look at that. And I did not realize that that's what Paul's saying. Now guess what? The majority of churches in, 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 in Clifton and, and around, the, around the world, if you will, don't even believe in future prophecy as we, as we would normally understand it. And what that does for us, though, is help us... To, well, what, what's it do when I say, I want to know what God is going to say about the future? It helps me get off of myself. It helps me to stop living just for myself as if I'm going to live forever. You're not going to live forever. You're going to be either raptured out of here or you're going, to, you're going to die and be taken home to the Lord that way. Okay? So it's very important to say, I, I, I love prophecy because it's God talking to me about where all this is going and I get off of myself as if I'm going to cling to this life and hang on to today forever and ever. This is all there is. This is it. You and I are just passing through. We're just passing through this world. You and I, this, this, this is not the end of, 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 of it all. And, and you, you and I have a purpose. And you and I need to understand that God is taking the world somewhere. Where is He taking it? But what does that mean to me in how I live and how I relate to, to other people and how I relate to God? How I relate to God? Are you just, are you just marking time? Are you just living for yourself? You're turning off. You're turning off the prophetic word. I'm not interested in what God is going to do tomorrow. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what I want today. And the Bible says that's a no-no. We should not go to sleep. We should not go to sleep. We want to pick this up next week and go in far in more detail and look at all these issues. And I think it'll be a good study for you and for me. We'll take about three weeks, maybe. And look at what is Christian growth and maturity all about. Let's close in prayer.
Father, we ask your, your help as we look at these issues because we all need to grow up. And we all need to understand what is most priority in our life. What counts? What should we be thinking and doing? Oh, God, help us. Because we can, we can fall into a trap of just living for ourselves and not growing, not going forward and serving you properly. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.